as Leon said, we've got re some really special guests with us this morning, and it's my pleasure to introduce Paul Reed. So why don't we clap him? <laughs> I am not Paul. <laughs> I am Priscilla, and uh, I hope you'll get used to the accent, but it's especially hard for you because I've also got a very croaky voice. I don't normally sound like this. Um, but it's so fantastic for Paul and I to come and visit you again. Um, this feels like our home away from home, so we just feel so relaxed when we're with you. So I wanted to get up this morning and ask you a question and ask you, have you ever gate-crashed a party? Now, I look out and I see some disreputable-looking folks, and I believe that some of you have definitely gate-crashed a party. But honestly, I never have. I was one of those sensible teenagers, you know, and I didn't do stuff like that. So my first experience of gate-crashing a party was when it happened to me. And my husband had asked me, could we throw a do for a guy who was in our town who was like a visiting preacher? <coughs> and um, he said, you know, I'd just like to invite some people around to meet him and... So we did that. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Could I have some water, Paul? <coughs> My beautiful assistant. <laughs> um, so we sent out the invitations, and I was getting organized. And, you know, as often these things happen, I was called away that afternoon. <coughs> Sorry about this. Called away that afternoon. And left some instructions with my husband, you know, make sure you do this, this, and this. But, you know, sometimes that goes in this ear and out that ear. <laughs> and I didn't get back as soon as I would have liked to. But anyway, I was in the kitchen and I was working and people were arriving. And I was a bit nervous about it. <coughs> but it seemed to be going okay. You know, there's that hum of conversation I could hear from the kitchen. I thought, oh no, it's going to be okay. And then I was just about to bring some more food out when I could, there was a silence. I knew that sort of heavy silence when you knew something's wrong. And I looked around the door and there was my gate crasher. There was a woman in the middle of the room who we had not invited to this do. Like, I wouldn't have invited her to that particular one. To be honest, I wouldn't have invited her to anything. Even being truthful, she had a bit of a reputation in our town. And um, I'm thinking, how did she even get in here? And nobody was showing her the door. And I thought, right, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I went to go towards her, and my husband caught my eye. And ladies, you know if you're married... There's sometimes that moment when your husband catches your eye and you know exactly what he's saying. He doesn't have to say anything. And I just knew that he was saying, don't move. Don't do a thing. And it suddenly, you know, struck me. He's wanting to see how this guy's going to react in this situation. So I stood there and honestly, I was so embarrassed because the woman was standing. And like, she is sobbing in the middle of my dining room. She's not just like, it's not just a weak tear. It's like she is full-on sobbing. And it went from bad to worse because it was like a movie moment. You know when the woman takes the comb out of her hair and shakes her hair out? So she shook out this big long mane of black hair. And she starts to kiss kiss the guy's feet. And then, she, you know, the hair's out and she's drying him with her hair. And, and the next thing, she pulls out this box of perfume. 
and she pours it out over his feet. And it wasn't any cheap, like, eau de cologne. It was the real stuff. Because if you'd come to my house even weeks later, you would have still smelled the fragrance of that perfume in our house. And all this was going on. And suddenly, the guy was the preacher. He spoke up, and he spoke to my husband. He says, Simon, can I ask you something? He says, suppose there were two people, and one of them owed 500 pounds, and one of them owed 50 pounds to a money lender. And the money lender said, look, I'm going to let you both off your debt. Which one do you think would have loved, loved him the most? I could see my husband was really reluctant to reply, but he said, well, I suppose he was the one that was let off the most money. And then the preacher turned to this woman and he looked her right in the eye. And he was still talking to my husband, but all the time he looked at her. And he says, you know, Simon, when I came to your house tonight, you didn't offer me any water to wash my feet. You didn't offer me the customary kiss of greeting. She's watered my feet with her tears. She's covered my feet with kissing. He said, you, you didn't offer any oil to anoint my head, and, and she's poured this perfume out upon me. You know, Simon, she's not in any doubt that she's a sinner, but that she's been forgiven. And he looked at her and he said, your sins are forgiven. You can go in peace. Deserves a round of applause, doesn't it? Now, so, some of you will have picked up that that is a Bible story, and it's based in Luke chapter 7. It's funny, but we did this before at one time, and uh, um, somebody came up afterwards and said to Priscilla, how did that woman get into your house? <laughs> they actually didn't get it, you know. So <clears throat> it's the story of Luke chapter 7 where there's an incredible party. I want to talk to you today about scandalous grace. And uh, it, it, it's, after we finished the first service, funny, I sort of thought to myself, there must be more. Even I thought there must be more to it. But it is, a, it, is a, it is a really simple story of the grace of God. So we have to define what's grace, okay? What's grace and what's mercy? They're two, not the same thing, but they're two sides of the one coin. So mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve, okay? And grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. All right, now say it again. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, which is the judgment of God. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is the favor of God upon your life. Suppose, you know, as, uh, as I got older in my life and I decided I'd always had, uh, we have four girls, that we had a car that could seat them all. Although in those days, you just bunged the four of them into the back seat of the car, no seat belts. Do you remember? Anybody remember those days? Yeah. And then we, we, we would go driving uh, and camping and we'd pack the food around them and they couldn't move. So they did, you know, we, we sort of, anyway. And, uh, but, and I said, I'm going to buy myself a sports car. I buy a really nice sports car. And I said, at a foolish moment, I said to one of the girls, you can have a spin in it, and they take it out for a drive, and they write it off. Wreck the car. Completely wreck the car. And so, you know, Deborah, actually Lucy 
did that several times. And so Lucy comes home and she's absolutely panicking. I'm going to kill her. She'll never get out again. Uh, she won't be allowed to mar get married. She'll have to be, I'm going to sell one of her kidneys. You know, it's just what we're going to do to her is incredible. And she comes home and I just look at her and I go, hey, no problems. That's mercy. She doesn't get what she deserves, which is a good thrashing, to be quite honest with you. And then, and then, not content with not doing anything to her, I take out £5,000 out of the bank and I say, go and buy yourself a little car, love, and enjoy yourself. That's grace, okay? So she doesn't get what she does deserve, but she does get what she doesn't deserve. Are we, are we, are we okay there? It's not Irish. It's, it's actually in the Bible, okay? <laughs> Definitely in the Bible, that stuff, okay? So this is a story about the incredible grace of God. When somebody gets it, and receives it from God, then it changes everything. Let me give you five characteristics of people who live in the favor of God. Number one, they know how much they don't deserve it. That's the first thing. They know how much they don't deserve it. So, so, so you get this picture. There's an open courtyard. It's not like our homes. There's a party going on. A woman slips in. And there are two groups of people, according to Kenneth Bailey in the day of Jesus, the Habarim and the Amhabarat. And they're the, in other words, there's the good people, the law keepers, the righteous people, the people who do their best to, to please God. And then there's the rest. Okay, and they, they're a, they, they are called the people of the land. They're the religious slackers, the Samaritans, the people who don't make an effort, the people who are outside of the favor of God. And, and they all live together. But the people who are in actually despise the people who are out. So it's very, it's very interesting. But Jesus spends most of his time with the people who are outsiders. Now, on entering a home, a visiting rabbi would be greeted with a kiss on the hand, not on the face. He would have olive oil poured on his forehead as a mark of respect, and his feet would be washed as to wash the dust off his feet from the dusty roads. And, and uh, this story, of course, is where the woman does, does to, to Jesus what his host should have done. But he doesn't do this. So Jesus tells the story that Priscilla told today about the two debtors. And that they are a story of somebody who owes 500, somebody who owes 50. And Jesus says, who loves the most? And that Simon, the Pharisee, reluctantly says, well, probably the person who was owed the most. Now, at first glance, it seems that there, there are people who are not so bad and there are people who are very bad. You get the implication from that, from this story. But of course, Simon thinks that he's not that bad compared to the woman in front of him, and that in fact he is better than her. But of course, this isn't about two groups of people, both Christians, but one less thankful than the other, because they weren't as bad as they could have been. There's actually only one group of people, and it's the person who realizes, I don't deserve the mercy and grace of God. That's, that's what this story is about. Simon thinks that he's better. He doesn't realize that grace and favor comes to you when you've absolutely no chance of earning it and you realize that, then you get it. So he thinks he's better than her. He doesn't get it. She knows exactly what she is. And what happens? She gets the grace of God. Because people who live under the favor of God know that they don't deserve it. It's the most incredible thing. Um, when I was about uh, 19, I was invited to speak to the, uh, the, the um, Belfast City Mission run by the Methodists. And uh, it's basically it was where the people who are uh, homeless and the tramps, etc. I mean, this is years ago. Uh, but they came along and uh, once a week, 
uh, if they would listen to a short talk, they would get soup and sandwiches. And, you know, that, you used to find that sort of thing. So I, as a young guy, I came in and I saw these men. I'd never met people like this before. They just were, I mean, to be honest with the dregs of society. And I, I, very self, I was very self-righteous. And I thought, I'm going to tell these guys who they really are. And I gave them what for. I gave them a, what we call in Belfast a good kicking. You know, I, I told them they were dirty, smelly, rotten, filthy sinners. And, uh, and uh, I dangled them over hell for about half an hour. And they sat there like this, and then they all shuffled it and got their soup and sandwiches. And so at the end of it, the Methodist minister said to me, Paul, thank you for coming. I'd actually been to, funny enough, he was, a, he was a couple of years ahead of me at school, so I kind of knew him. And he said to me, Paul, thanks for coming today. Really, we appreciate that. He said, there, there's just one thing. He said, you see the men you were talking to? He said, they have actually, they have no problem understanding that they live broken, shattered lives, and they feel worthless, and they feel they're not of value to God. He says, but the thing that they don't know is that there's a God who loves them and wants to show them grace and mercy. But thanks for coming anyway. And honestly, it was a salutary, le- it was a salutary lesson to me. It was a salutary lesson to me. I, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, if there'd only been one person, if you'd been the only person on earth and you had nobody else to compare yourself to, Jesus would still have had to come and die and give his life for you on the cross. That's how valuable you are to God. God wanted a relationship with you so much that he sent his son into this world. And you, you kind of say to yourself, but Paul, you don't know what my life's like. Could I say, I, I want to say to you today, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. In fact, the very best time to get the grace of God is when you least deserve it. Is when your life is a complete mess. That's when you go, you know something? If this is a gift and I don't have to earn it in any way, I'm going to put my hand out and receive it and live under the favor of God. It doesn't matter where you were last night. It doesn't matter what you've done with your life. Most of us, most of us, particularly as Christians, we think if we, if we, uh, you know, if we do something wrong and then we, we, uh, we read three days in a row then the Bible, we feel good about ourselves. We clean ourselves up in order to receive the favor of God. But when it comes to God showing you mercy, giving you what you, not giving you what you do deserve, and showing you grace, which is, is giving you what you don't deserve, when it comes to grace and mercy, it's absolutely worthless. You see, if you're a good person, then you deserve something from God. But when you're at your worst and you know you have, can't li- lift a finger to help yourself, that's the time you get the grace of God. Happened to me when I was 16. I was, uh, I was uh, in the 60s. All of my teens were in the 60s. They say if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. Anybody grew up in the 60s? It was a wee bit like that, to be honest with you. It was one of those, one of those eras in life. And, you know, as a 16-year-old, young, broken young man, my, my mum and dad had uh, got divorced, and life was, life was, you know, it was just confusing. And uh, I, I went on a, a bender, you know, when you, as you do when you're 16. I just absolutely threw off all the constraints, and life was in. And then one day I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And you know something? It was as if God spoke into my life. And he said, that's the very best place to be because now you know that you don't deserve it. I'm going to give you the grace of God. If you think you deserve it, you're never going to live in it. If you don't deserve the grace of God, hey, you get it today.
It's the most incredible thing, isn't it? It's a free gift. Number two, quickly moving on. People who live under the grace of God know how much they're forgiven. You see, to know how much you don't deserve is one thing, but to know that God will never hold anything against you is absolutely incredible. This woman stands behind Jesus. She bursts into tears. Is she ashamed? Is she embarrassed? Has she got guilt? No. She knows who she was. In fact, if I was to read the passage, it says it. She knows who she is. Jesus knows what she was. They knew who she was and where she came from. But, But the reality is she knew she was forgiven. She brings a jar of ointment. Why? Because she knew she was forgiven. And, and there's something about, about uh, not deserving something. You live under this canopy of the favor of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5 says, We were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words, it, we, were, we were right from our birth, separated from God, and our, our behavior continued that separation. And then it says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So we're, we're separated from God, but something happens, an intervention occurs. And it says we were dead. If you go into a cemetery and you say, okay, everybody, up. Nothing happens. Why? Because they're all dead. There's no life in them. In order to bring them to life, God has to speak. And it's the same with us. There isn't anything that you can do to help yourself. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable to God. There's any amount of Bible reading or prayer There's any amount of service that'll polish you up where God will say, at last, somebody who's worthy of the grace of God. It's because you are what you are that you are able to receive the grace of God in your life. And you get this incredible realization that you can't claim any gift, uh, any credit. It's a gift. And because it's complete, you don't add to it. You can't take away from it. You've been forgiven. There's no guilt or condemnation, and you pick it up. You know, if you're in a crevasse today, and you're kind of thinking, you know, I'm just going to press through here, and I'm going to work for God a bit more, and maybe he'll show me a bit of favor. God's grace and forgiveness is still on you. The grace of God is there to help you, not to condemn, to condemn you. And this, this woman, who had many sins, was forgiven by Jesus. She knew who she was and what she was. But she received the grace of God. And you know what happened? She knew she was forgiven. Nothing could touch that. The third thing is that people who live under the grace of God know how much they're loved. I, 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 I mean, you know, sometimes I think, is there something more about this? But I, I live under this. God is not mad at me. This is a great revelation, isn't it? I know it sounds a bit silly, but God is not mad. God is for you. God is not against you. We live in our country as a meritocracy. In other words, you get what you deserve. Some people, you might think, deserve God's grace, but not me. But you, just, you don't deserve it, but you get it. That's the very, the very time you feel you, are, you don't deserve it is when you can receive it from God. And when you receive it, here's the good news. You cannot unreceive it. You can't repel it. Why? Because nothing you've done in your past can exclude you from it, or nothing you will do can stop you from receiving it. You cannot unfavor yourself. Why? Because you never favored yourself in the first place. That's what grace is about. It's given to you by God. So when you picked it up, 
And you said, Lord, I don't deserve it. And you put your hand out and he gave you the, the grace of God. Something very powerful happened. And the source of it is the God's unconditional love for you. We have no idea, as those men had no idea. They knew what their life were like, but they had no idea that God loved them unconditionally. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of ours, rather, uh, came to our house many years ago, and he had had this revelation. I mean, it sounds crazy. You think all Christians know this stuff, but, but you realize yourself that, you know, you, 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 here's what happens. You start off the Christian life by recognizing you're a sinner, receiving Jesus and his forgiveness, and you come into a relationship with God through Christ. And then you spend the rest of your Christian life trying to earn the favor of God. I don't know if you ever do that, do you? You, get, it's, it's, you know, actually, do you know something? A lot of marriages are like that. Well, you wake up every morning and you go, if I do well today, cook a nice meal, love my husband, do all the stuff, maybe he'll love me. Let, me. let me give you a phrase that's been around my church, our church at home for years. No relationship can flourish in an atmosphere of disapproval. No relationship can flourish in an atmosphere of disapproval. Do you know something? Parents do this to their kids. If you shape up, I'll love you. A lot of kids live under a guilt. This is just for nothing, this one. A lot of kids live under a shadow of guilt. Why? Because they never really matched up. I don't know whether you ever felt like that yourself. You never matched up to your own dad and your own mum. You never quite made it, and you never felt. And you say, you say, but and we never really built a relationship. Of course you didn't. Why is that? Because no relationship can flourish in an atmosphere of disapproval. And it's exactly the same with God. Because you wake up every morning, and instead of going, if I do well today, you know, and I read my Bible and read my keynotes every day with Jesus. And it's not just every day with Jesus. It's not just every other day with Jesus or now and again with Jesus. But it's every day with Jesus. And I read my Bible and I constantly do that. You know, God's going to say, you've got my favor and my love. No, no, no. It, flip it in its head. It's the opposite. It turn, it's this here. You wake up every day and you go, because I live in the favor of God. Because I am loved by God, because I am living under the grace and the reign of God's favor in my life, then from that basis, I am going to live for God because I love Him. The motivation's completely different. You flip it on its head. It's the most incredible story. You don't have to earn it. It's a, sorry, I'm getting excited here. Yeah, it's a gift. You get it. God gives it to you. There's no, uh, no small print. I love that. Do you ever, ever watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? No, the real one, the good one, with, with Gene Wilder. You know, the one. And he goes, and the, you know the big list he goes down there? No, 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 And he goes right down. There's no small print with God. There are no unreadable terms and conditions. It's free and cannot be earned. You can't work yourself up. You can't polish yourself to make yourself more acceptable. God is not disillusioned with you because he had no illusions to begin with. Sometimes I feel that. I feel God's probably disillusioned with me. And then he says, no, 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 Paul, you, you've, you've got this wrong. I, I knew all about you, and I loved you and gave you my grace and favor anyway. And once you get the favor of God, you can't unfavor yourself. So you're pushing this to the limit now, Paul? Yes, I am. But that's the grace of God. You're favored by God, and when he pours that into your life, you live under the reign of unconditional love. Number four, nearly there, a new discovery. People who live under the reign of God discover a new intimacy. Look, 
lot of people think that sex brings intimacy. And, and they use each other to get to it. But it rarely does. Actually, it's in the context of security and love and complete acceptance that real pleasure comes. This woman is used to sex. Our story tells us she had a reputation for good reason. But I don't suppose it ever brought lasting intimacy to her. But something changes now. She meets Jesus. She doesn't deserve his love. But in response to his unconditional love, she lays herself bare. Not physically. But she weeps. She cries. Doesn't care who sees her. She dries his feet with her hair. She kisses them repeatedly. She pours oil over them. What's happening here? You see an intimacy coming in because this woman feels secure in the love of God. She didn't favor herself, so she couldn't be unfavored. You didn't favor yourself, and you can't be unfavored. You are living under the reign of God himself today. It's an incredible, it's incredible. Don't wake up. Titus, Titus says this. He says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness. See, and we kind of go, if I could shape my life up, I might get the grace of God. But actually, it's the grace of God that teaches us to do that. It's the motivation that spurs us on to live for God. And you live under the favor of God. Most Christians, as I say, live under that old covenant. Uh, in fact, Hebrews uh, it's the message, I'm going to read it to you. Hebrews chapter 8 tells of a new agreement with God. Something shifted. And here, here's the, uh, here it is. Heads up. The days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan. I'll set up, I set up with their ancestors when I led them out of the hand of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain. So I looked away and let it go. The new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it out in the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God and Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand. The little and the big, the small and the great, they'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with a slate of their sins forever wiped clean. What a great translation, isn't it? So instead of, instead of a two-party agreement, for those of you who know technical legal stuff, it is where there are two people and they, they say, I'll do something if you do something. And that's what it was with Israel. God said, you do this. And they said, we'll do that. But of course they didn't. And God, that didn't work. And, and it wasn't, it was to, it wasn't, God knew it wasn't going to work. It was to make them realize that it couldn't work. That's what it was about. So God creates a one-party agreement. There are legal terms for this, and they actually currently, you, in other words, you, you go in to, uh, uh, you get left something in a will, and you go in, and it's a two-party agreement. If you do this, you will receive this. But there's also a one-party agreement, and it's just, it's just this here. These are the terms and conditions. You get them. You just have to receive them. And that's what God does with us. And he says, I'm not going to make you keep any, I'm not going to make you keep laws to be received. He says, I'm going to do something very incredible. And there's three clauses. Number one, it's going to come from the inside out. God does something on the inside of your heart. In other words, you don't have a list of things that you have to keep in order to, in order to be received or accepted by God. What happens is God simply gives you his grace and begins something to work within you. So that the work is from the internal to the external. Not that you start out there and then it's, it comes to you. It starts with God working in your heart. And what happens when that happens? When the Holy Spirit comes in, you receive the grace of God. He said, they will all know me. You get to have a personal relationship with God. 
That's the second clause. But the third clause, and that's the one I really want to pick up on, and it's, it's pretty incredible. In fact, in the NIV it says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You say, well, what's that about? Well, what is this there? You see, when God shows you his favor, and you receive it, and you live under it, and you're forgiven, and you know you don't deserve it, but it's but through the unconditional love of God, and, it, and it, it motivates you to live for God. You see, we're on this journey, and none of us are perfect. Isn't that right? We mess up. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, we're not perfect, but we're being perfected. If, you could, if I could put it like that. There's a progressive thing. But on this journey of knowing God and living in the grace of God, some people have a few hiccups. Okay? In other words, they screw up. To use the American term, they mess up. doesn't always go perfect for them. And they think, goodness, there you go, I've messed up. God says, no, 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 no. You can't unfavor yourself because you never favored yourself in the first place. Not disillusioned with you, and no illusions to begin with. You can't unearn it, because you never earned it in the first place. Do you understand? And here's what he says, but never again will I call up your sins and bring them to your remembrance. That's what it means. We kind of think that God has a bit of Alzheimer's here. And, you know, God's, God doesn't remember our sins. Where did I put those sins now? Where are those sins? That's not what it's like. What it was, in ancient days, the kings kept a record of people's behavior. And so what they did was they put, it, they put it down and they wrote it down. And at the end of every year, they would bring them up. It was called the Book of Remembrance. And they brought them up and they called them in. They said, okay, Simon, on the 5th of March, you did this here. And they'd go through them, whether you needed to be punished or rewarded. But God, God's saying, I will never again, no matter what they are, no matter what you've done. Once God favors your life, he said, I will never call your sins to your memory or my memory again. The books will never be open for you. Books are closed. The price is paid. The debt is finished. That's pretty good news, isn't it? Okay, number five as I move on. And I think people who live under the grace of God are extravagantly generous. Now, what I mean by that, this woman is overwhelmed by forgiveness and the favor she now stands in, something pours out of her. And, and so grace and mercy is the new empowerment of you. The empowerment is not, if I do well, maybe God will accept me. It is because I am under the grace of God. I am going to be extravagant. The grace given to us by Christ creates a new person. All that you used to be can't be polished up and made good. Don't try to do that. But when you pick up the favor of God, you get to make a daily choice of who you will be. Most of us need to stop living in what we used to be and start living in what God created us to be. We, we keep getting pulled back to our old lives. It's a bit like a man is 25 years in the army. Every day his life is regimented. The bugle goes at six, up he gets, gets breakfast, roll call, parade drill, 25 years. The day comes for his discharge. He gets discharged. He gets the papers. He packs his little bag. He goes outside the camp gates. He stands at the bus stop and he waits. He's not in the army anymore. Sergeant Major thinks I'll play a trick on him. He comes behind him and he goes, attention. And he goes, immediately without thinking. He says, right turn quick march and he marches to and then he goes hold on a second i'm not in the army anymore i don't have to do that I, and actually some of us live our lives like that we live in what we used to be rather than living out of what god has created us to be 
which is the grace and favor of God. You're not in the army anymore. You're no longer a child. You're no longer a child of fear. That's the one, a slave to fear. No longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. There's something very powerful about that. This woman holds nothing back. She brings a flask of ointment or perfume with her to anoint him. And you get this spontaneous act of worship, tears, crying. What's happening? She ashamed? No, it's not about shame. It's about extravagance. And it's God pouring his love out to her. And I'd say today as I finish, don't be ruled by emotional lowness or what's going on in your life. Live in the favor of God. You are under the favor of God and you can't be unfavored, every single one of you. You say, yeah, but I know, but you don't know me. No, but I know me. (laughs) Let me finish by telling you a story. I've got a five-year-old grandson, uh, five granddaughters and one grandson. His name's Charlie, and he lives in Cambridge. His uncles on his dad's side are called Jazz and Hugo, and they really are posh. They really are posh. So he's quite posh himself. In fact, he said to me recently, Papa, do I speak a different language to you? I said, no, no. He says, just you, you are, like mommy, you're Irish people, their language. You know, and I said, no, it's just an accent, son. He said, okay. Okay, about a month ago, we, we, we're, we're, we're staggered by this because actually his mom and dad wouldn't be walking with God. But never underestimate the power of godly grandparents to pray for the grandchildren, okay? Be encouraged. So he came in, he said, mommy, God has spoken to me for the first time. <laughs> He's five. And she said, Daddy, Daddy, son, what did he say? And he said this. He said, I was, he said, I was, sing, I was bouncing on my trampoline, <laughs> singing my hymns of praise to my God. That's the way he put it. And he said, he spoke to me for the first time. And Deborah said, what did he say? And Charlie said, he said, Bravo. Isn't that an incredible thing? If if the first time God speaks into your life as a five-year-old and he looks at you and he goes, bravo. Could I, listen, if I could every day, I'd take your face in my hand and I'd say, this is what God says to you, bravo. 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 Not because of what you did or what you have done, but because of what Jesus has given you. It's called the grace of God. We're going to sing now, and we're going to respond, okay? So let's respond in praise and worship, and then I'll pick something up in a moment, okay? I'll be a few later. Why don't we stand together if you're able, please? Thank you. If you're comfortable, would you, just if you're comfortable, would you put your hands out? It's if you're about to receive something, so let's do that. Father, it might be that you've never actually said, Jesus, I don't deserve it, but you want to give it to me love and his favor and his mercy and his grace you may want to say something like this Jesus thank you for your unconditional love thank you you're giving me what I don't deserve which is favor and mercy I receive it today I hear those words in my ears and in my heart. Bravo. Bravo.
And for all of us, why don't we receive, just as a picture in our heart, a fresh sense of God's grace for our lives, that none of us deserve it. Not the best of us, not the worst of us. None of us deserve it. But once you're favored by God, you can't be unfavored. Thank you, Lord, you're not disillusioned with us. Because you had no illusions to begin with. And you still poured your love and forgiveness out upon our lives. We are so grateful. We are so grateful. This is the good news of the gospel. The people who don't deserve it get it. Father, we're all undeserving. But we get it. Lord, help us not to wake up every morning and say, If I do good today, maybe God will love me. But rather, may we wake up tomorrow morning going, because I am loved and favored by God, I'm going to live for Him today. We receive your grace today afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.